Well, good morning, CCF. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to come and worship together. I pray that you would open our ears uh, to hear, that you would soften our hearts this morning, and that we would receive um, your word in a more powerful way, that you'd help us to be maturing disciples of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Have you ever stopped to consider what an oddity this gathering is? Here we are in Edmonds, Washington in 2021, worshiping this guy named Jesus. And let's look at the reality of who Jesus was. He was born in a manger. He lived about 30 years of his life in obscurity as a carpenter. He only had about like three and a half years of active ministry. He recruited 12, just 12 ragtag disciples. He was hated by his own people. He dined and ate with tax collectors, collectors, sinners, prostitutes, all the dregs of society. He was called lots of bad names by his own people. He was tortured, mocked, beaten, spit on, and crucified by his people in Rome. He was squashed, stamped out, and he suffered the fate of the other Messiah figures before him. And yet here we are, now in 2021, some 2,000 years later, some 6,700 miles away from that tiny place called Israel, and we're worshiping him. It's a lot to take in, honestly. How in the world did this happen? How did we get here? Right? I, I often sometimes it just let that sink in as I'm coming into this place and ask myself, how did this happen? How did we get here? Well, as you know, my portrait of Jesus right there is only partially accurate. We know that the early Jesus followers had a radical claim that this preacher who stirred the pot in Israel was their promised Messiah, the king, the anointed one, who had set things right and who died for their sins and was raised from the grave so that people could be brought back into relationship with God the Father, the king of the universe. The other radical claim that they made uh, at those followers of the way was this, that this Messiah figure Jesus was not just the answer for Israel. It was not just the answer for ethnic Israel. He was the answer for the entire world. They were commanded by Jesus himself to spread the good news about him all over. And maybe just as importantly, they were absolutely compelled by the good news of the message. This wasn't just any old commandment from a king. It was from a good king, a righteous king. And they were willing to die for him. And really in the grand scheme of things, for you and for me. How did we get here? We got here because the disciples of Jesus, in a sense, went global. And as we close out this We Are Disciples series, we wanted to end with a call for all of us to remember our lineage, to respond to the call that Jesus gave his first followers, the call in a sense, to go global. Now, some of you maybe just tensed up a little bit. Oh no, he's going to guilt trip me into being a missionary or going on short-term mission trips. 
This is the message that I can tune out because I know for sure that God isn't calling me to be a missionary. You're thinking, also, maybe why should I care about missions? It doesn't seem to fit into the four chairs model. I mean, I know that I can be a chair four person and multiply right here in Edmonds. I don't need to go global. Why go global? Well, let me say that you are right about multiplying right here in Edmonds and that you don't, you don't necessarily need to go. But the question, why go global, is a good one. And I want to answer that today. The question is, why do disciples go global? How did we get here? Why do disciples go global? I mean, 2021, compared to back in the day with Jesus walking the streets in Israel, how in the world did we do it? It's because the disciples went global. And I want to ask, why did they do that? And what I'm going to do is I want to answer that question by doing three things, okay? If you're a note taker, this is where you can start taking notes, I guess. I want to briefly look at the five commissioning statements of the New Testament, okay? It's, it's what kind of scholars call it, the five commissioning statements of the New Testament, um, rather than just the Great Commission. And with that, we can get a picture, I think, of what the first Jesus followers received from him as he ascended into heaven. And I think what that'll do is help us understand our answer as, why, as to why disciples go global. And secondly, I'm wanting to really maybe spend a little more time unpacking Matthew 28, 16 through 20, which is commonly called the Great Commission. And my hope is that as we do that, we will be exhorted to participate in the Great Commission in some way, shape, or form, being globally-minded disciples of Jesus here in Edmonds, Washington. And lastly, I want to try and give you some ways forward some application points to be globally engaged disciples. And that also, at the end, will be where I share a little bit about our current rethinking missions process. And we have still been meeting, and we continue to meet. We have a great team, and I'm excited to share a little bit about uh, what we have been doing and thinking. So, the five commissioning statements. You know, one thing I've learned as a parent and also as a youth pastor, is that you sometimes have to say things five different ways to get the point across. <laughs> well, the early disciples of Jesus who wrote the gospel in Acts make sure that we, knew we were, that we knew we were to be sent. So I want to look briefly at these texts, and I'm going to read them in their immediate context, but we'll look for key phrases and ideas to construct the thrust of Jesus' last words to his disciples. So if you have your Bibles on your screen, we're also going to have some snippets of the verses on the screen. Follow along with me. We're going to go first to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Again, that's Matthew 28, the end of his gospel, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
the next text that we're going to go to, again, I love sifting through my Bible. It's Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, some of you in this room who are Bible nerds like me may not consider that original, and we're going to work through that. Um, Not today. You can come talk to me afterwards. Mark uh, 16, 15, and I don't know if it's original actually, so anyways, um, uh, Mark 16, 15, starting in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And we're going to stop reading there. That's Mark 16. That's the second one. The next one, again, follow along with me in your Bibles. It's Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke chapter 24 at the end, starting in verse uh, 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Okay, next one, because Luke and Acts were kind of written uh, together as two separate letters. We're going to do Acts first. Acts 1, chapter 1. Jump with me to Acts 1. Uh, Follow along in your Bible. If you're clicking and scrolling, you might be having trouble here. Here we go. Acts 1, 6 is where we're going to start. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then to quickly sum up, as they were looking at him, he ascended into heaven. And then lastly, John, in his typical fashion, does things a little differently. It's John chapter 20. Back up with me. Jesus appears to the disciples starting in verse 19. John 20, 19. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We just did a lot there. I'm trying to imagine here for a moment what it would have been like to write those words. 
these accounts obviously are given from their own angle based on the writers, but they're all remembering back to the most pivotal moments in their lives. I can think of many instances in that uh, in my life, especially those that are full of good memories, like proposing to my wife on a mountain. That was fun and really exciting and tiring too. But I look back on that with one, as one of those pivotal moments. They were coming up and writing these things all after the, all after the resurrection. Their Messiah that they were following, he wasn't dead. They didn't choose the wrong horse in the race. He was alive. And he gave them a mission. And that possessed them. But as I said earlier, it wasn't just the mission. It was also the person behind that mission and message. Okay, I want to look back again at just a couple of key things from these five passages. I'll have these on the screen for us. I'm reading these five again to give us context as to the end of Jesus's ministry on earth after he has risen from the grave, before he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. Here's what we see in those texts, just some key uh, insights. One, that there was proclamation that the disciples were to go out and to proclaim audibly the good news of Jesus. They were to go out and um, preach and teach and proclaim what, uh, what it was that Jesus did and who he was. And then they also were called to go out to all the nations, to the ends of the earth. We saw that a couple times in those texts that I read. It wasn't just staying in Jerusalem. It was to go over all the earth to all nations, and we'll unpack that a little later. And then that they were two witnesses, often used in a law kind of context. Maybe uh, that was the case for some of the disciples, and it actually was when we look at the book of Acts. But we were to be people who were going out and witnessing about Jesus, to be his testifiers. They were also sent, right? Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so I also send you. And then if we look kind of closely, Jesus is reminding them that I'm with you always to the end of the age, that this is my message and you're doing this in my name. So if I could sum this up, which maybe is a dangerous thing, it's that we are sent ones because we have a message to proclaim to all the earth. Now, one thing that I want to focus on before we move on is this. Um, it's the idea of uh, going global. It was not, as we've stated, just for Israel. This message was not just for Israel. Though, 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 that there were, though there would be hiccups along the way, the early followers of Jesus were adamant that this fits right, uh, that this was a message for everyone. And if we go back and look at the biblical story, I'm just going to do a quick overview here. <clears throat> this is really hard to do. Uh, we see that uh, from the beginning in Genesis 1, we're told that humanity is made in God's image. It's a title with a task to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God wanted to see his image, us humans, go across all the creation that he had just made. They were to be living statues of the king, so to speak, declaring and representing that God owned all of this. But we know that that isn't what happened. We were exiled from the garden, cast out of God's presence because we wanted to be like him in a way that we weren't ready for. 
and the ravages of sin and the curse, it ended up precipitating the flood and the scattering of the peoples after the Tower of Babel. And the story of Abram comes in and we find God saying, go, leave all that you've ever known, this is Genesis 12, to a new place so that I can give you land, seed, and blessing so I can make your name great. But that blessing isn't just for you. And again, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here. It's for all the peoples of the earth. We know how the rest of the story goes. Israel finds themselves in Egypt under the yoke of slavery. God rescues them through his messenger Moses. We're brought to then Sinai to receive the law, but they end up spending 40 years wandering because of their rebellion. They come to the land eventually through Joshua. They get settled, appoint kings, and those kings, they fail time and time again. But God keeps bringing his prophets to remind them of their need for repentance. Because if we read Exodus 19 closely, it says they aren't fulfilling the calling uh, that were, they were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And if you know your Bible, 1 Peter uh, picks that up in the New Testament. They go into exile, but they eventually are restored to the land, but things will never be the same. They long for a redeemer, a Messiah to set things right. And here's what those disciples said in the context of that great commission. They said, we're looking back on the scriptures in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus even showed them that several times in the gospels, that he was the awaited Messiah and he was here for everyone. God's global vision culminated in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's what I hope you're catching from this. And remember, again, I'm trying to answer the question, why do disciples go global? I didn't give you the answer up front. front. We're, we're kind of discovering it as we go. Why do disciples go global? It's because disciples go global because Jesus sends us to tell his story. Jesus sends us to tell his story. But as you can see, I have three little dots afterwards and ellipsis. We're going to fill that in even more. Disciples go global because Jesus sends us to tell his story. Okay, so we've seen that now in our first movement. Now in our second movement, as I promised up front, we're going to get back in our Bibles from Matthew chapter 28. So look with me again, Matthew 28. Turn there. And again, we'll be starting in verse 16. So again, now that we've looked at the five commissioning statements, I want to narrow in on Matthew 28. Narrowing in on there, okay? Let's read with, uh, read with me again. Now again, the disciples, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mount which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I, uh, did you catch that? Um, it's uh, maybe a little bit confusing as to what's actually going on there. Was it a separate group that is doubting or did they all kind of doubt? We're not exactly sure. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's not a square inch of the universe that's not mine, so to speak. And he tells them, based off of that, since I have all of this authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I could do a full longer sermon than I'm allotted to today on just these four verses. 
Um, so I'm going to have to limit myself to, again, one of the things that I've highlighted on the screen, and that's the all nations, right? Jesus comes to his disciples and says that because I have all authority, you're going to go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Now, for a little clarification here for us, um, this isn't just talking about nation states, geopolitical entities like China or Russia. And again, when we're looking at the, the Greek, the original language, and also the other uses of this phrase, all the nations, we see that this is really referring to different people groups. Um, let me explain that. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, kind of sums up looking at the 18 different instances of this. He says this, in all likelihood, Jesus did not send his apostles out with a general mission to win as many individuals as they could, but rather to reach all the peoples of the world and thus to gather the sons of God, which are scattered, that's an allusion to John eleven fifty two, and to call the ransom from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, an allusion to Revelation 5, 9, until redeemed persons from all the peoples praise him. Romans 15, 11. So again, I want you to, when you read the, the uh, all nations, don't think of, again, places like Russia or China. These are distinct people groups within those places. We have many different people groups within the, Seattle, uh, uh, with the, within the area of Seattle. But let me give you a really concrete example here. India is a country, but um, uh, there's a group out there called the Joshua Project. They monitor all kinds of different groups all over the world. Uh, they're dedicated to understanding how many unreached people groups are left in the world, uh, where the name of Jesus is, is very little known or has not been known. And they estimate that India has about 2,376 people groups in it alone. Now, here's the thing. Of those 2,376, 2,139 of those According to their, their statistics, people dis disagree on these things. 2,139 of those 2,376 have been unreached, meaning that they have equal to or less than 2% of an active Christian population. Now, again, defining tasks is hard, or defining people groups is hard. Some people have different numbers for how many there are in the world. Is it 10,900? Is it 11,500? 13,000 people groups in the world? How many are there, right? If you're trying to understand how many people have not yet been reached, um, and again, that, that's a whole complicated conversation uh, behind that. Uh, talk to me afterwards. Is it 17,400? Is it 24,000? People disagree. People have their definitions. But one thing even though they don't agree on the definitions, one thing that they are all in agreement is this, that God's vision is to see worshipers from all of them. Again, there are a lot of questions that, that I could answer here that I would love to unpack, but I, I can't for the sake of time. I'd love to talk with you about it because we've been spending a lot of time considering and thinking through these things when, we come, when it comes to rethinking missions. Come talk to me afterwards if you have some time. The task is a little overwhelming, honestly, to reach people all over the globe. 
But again, if we come back and we look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, we remember that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's based on that authority that we can then go out and be sent ones who go and bring the message and tell people about this guy named Jesus. And he also says this, I will be with you. Time and time again in scripture, God wants to dwell with his people. Again, I wish I could unpack it, but from the very beginning, God is seeking to dwell with his people, but there are always some barriers that happen, and God is seeking to, again, uh, be a missionary God who goes after people, who goes and rescues them, who, who, who comes to them and meets them in the muck and the mire. He comes down and rescues you. One of the reasons that I think the gospel is to be brought to all the nations because, is because of what I've already argued, that it's been God's global vision from the beginning. And again, he wants to demonstrate his goodness, his glory, and his love to all peoples. And he wants us to go and make them disciples. Do you notice that in Matthew 28? It's not just go out and evangelize them. It's not just go out and tell them the gospel once and, and walk away. It's, the goal is to go and make disciples. And making disciples encompasses churches that help make maturing disciples of Jesus. The church is the vessel that carries the message and the troops. It's why Paul and his, and his fellows, those that went out with him, established churches Gatherings of people that came together with purpose and organization for the purpose of worshiping Christ and then sending out others to make disciples. Again, a pivotal text I encourage you to go read would be Acts chapter 13. So again, my question has been, why do disciples go global? I want to fill in the last bit here. Disciples go global because Jesus sends us to tell his story and to make disciples of all peoples. Disciples go global because Jesus sends us to tell his story and to go and make disciples of all peoples. As we wrap up this We Are Disciples series um, by focusing on the nations and God's global vision and story, I wanted to give you some application by letting you know uh, just briefly where we are in the rethinking missions process. Um, and again, I'm just going to give you big details, um, but we've been meeting since May of 2021. There's a group of about 14 people who come together at least once a month, um, mostly, uh, it's, it's even more than that, usually twice at this rate. And we've been praying, we've been discussing missions, we've been um, talking about, hey, where has CCF been? Um, where are we now? And where could we go? What could God be up to? And it's been really exciting to see a group of, of, again, 14 people who are representative of this church. We have people not, who are just missions-minded people. We have people who, um, again, are just um, people who have families in this church, those who care about, hey, God's global vision. And we've been realizing time and time again that God has a heart for all peoples. And that's been really exciting to see. Um, and one of the things, again, that when we look at missions here at CCF, we realize that we've been in a lot of really good places historically. If you remember even more recently, back in 2019, I believe it was, we gave $50,000, $50,000 
to uh, different mission organizations and peoples. We gave away $50,000 to those efforts. And then even before that, we've been supporting roughly about 14 missionaries and two organizations. And we are realizing that there is still a lot more yet to be done. And as we talk about going forward um, to where God might have us, we see that there's still yet so much that's untapped and so many people that still need to hear about Jesus. I think it's about over 3 billion people would be considered unreached in this world. One thing that we've spent some time focusing on is asking the question, what is missions? Who is a missionary? And I'll let you talk with the other um, people in the, on the team, but also myself. And, but we've kind of just said, like, when everything is missions, nothing is missions. And so we want to have some distinctions and say that we're all on mission, right? God's global vision, as I've discussed here from the beginning through Jesus's commissioning, is that we're all on mission to make God's name great, to go and tell people about the story of Jesus and make disciples of all peoples. We're all on that and all in that together. But we want to still designate a special category for missionaries. And so we've kind of come to this place where we're saying, you know, we really think that going forward, we really want to emphasize this idea of neighbors and nations, neighbors and nations. And we feel that God has been leading us to say, there's an absolute incredible importance in us going outside of our house, knocking on those neighbors' doors, and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. That's absolutely needed. And, and we need to take care of the people in our neighborhoods and go and be a church that is, in a sense, on God's great mission together but that we also want to continue to be a part of the effort of bringing the good news of Jesus to all nations across cultural, linguistic, and geographic barriers and say that we want to be more involved with missionaries, people who are going out and going to unreached people groups, not just that alone. We have missionaries like Katie McGrew, who's not necessarily working with unreached people groups, we, but we want to continue to press into the work that God would have us do. And, and bringing the gospel all over the globe. And that's an exciting vision. It's an exciting vision. If we, can't, if we can't get excited about that, we need our hearts kind of jogged a little bit. We need to say that that good news that we all received at some point in our lives about Jesus, that that news, I, I just can't stand it anymore. I know I need to go share it with people. And if we can't do that, as I've told my students recently, and I, as I have been convicted of, knowing that I don't share my faith enough with people, is that maybe that message to me in some way, sense, or form in my day in and day out just isn't sweet enough to me. And I want it to be. I want to go and share about Jesus. I want to go and tell people about his great name and about what he did and who he is and how their lives can be transformed by that as their sins are forgiven and they receive new life and are brought back into communion with God. So let me give you some really tangible steps forward. We would really covet your prayer here at CCF, especially for that Rethinking Missions team. Uh, There's still work yet to be done. We're still figuring out the exact direction that we're going and meeting monthly, and now we've got the holidays coming up and everything, and we would just love, 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 love prayer. We're going to be sending out another update email soon 
But we, in that meantime, and I know some of you have already been doing this, to see more people at our Sunday morning prayer group. How many of you attend that Sunday morning prayer group? I know there's there's probably a fair number of people in here. Uh, 9 a.m., usually in the Soma room, there's a time for prayer for our church, but also for people all over the globe. I would encourage you to go and be a part of that prayer group at 9 a.m. on Sundays, every Sunday. The other way that you can... um, really be involved in being a globally minded and engaged disciple is by coming to talking to me. I love your questions. Um, I realize I'm maybe like, you know, getting ready to receive some things when I say that. Come ask me questions. Um, And also ask our team some questions. You saw some of them in the email a few months ago. Um, We're going to be doing that again. Ask the team questions. Um, I just hope that if you have prayer cards or if you have a prayer list, that Rethinking Missions at CCF gets on there. And then if you're looking again for more tangible ways to, to get involved now in, um, in not only our neighbor's efforts, but possibly our nation's efforts, I pray that you just come talk to me and uh, I'd love to help you sort that through and figure out what God has for you right now. Well, I want to uh, close in a word of prayer this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who comes after us. Um, (laughs) What God does that in the way that you did it? Again, as I open the sermon, um, you didn't do it um, in the way that we would imagine you should have done it, by power and might. You didn't do it the, the, the way of the world that might makes right. Instead, again, you sent your son Jesus in obscurity to be born in a major, to then go and flip the world upside down. And I specifically mention that major point as we come upon the season of Advent, asking that we would be people who remember what a glorious and incredible, unfathomable, unplumbable, um, rich doctrine that the incarnation is. And that in that we are then, because we are disciples of your son Jesus, who flipped the world upside down, that we would then take that message of what you did through your son to all the peoples, to all the nations. I pray, Father, that you would help us in that effort that you would give us again open eyes to walk down our streets and to, sh- to share the good news of your son Jesus, but then to not just walk away, but to be disciple makers, people who are bringing those people with them, getting them plugged into a Christian community where they can thrive. I pray, Father, that we would have that fire lit within us to remember that um, not only the, is the message so sweet, but uh, the messenger, or sorry, but the, the, the person behind the message is even sweeter. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.